Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by J. Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode... Welcome to the Truth About Taxes and Retirement podcast with J. Barry Watts of SavingYouTaxes.com. I'm Patrice Sikora. Thinking about taxes can make your head hurt. But in this episode, Barry talks about five truths about taxes that can benefit you. Barry, I admit I didn't know. Please start off by telling us all about the money we actually earn that's tax-free. Well, in fact, there are probably 500, if not 5,000 truths about taxes. And so I sorted through those because, frankly, if I took you through all of them, that would be quite a snoozer and we wouldn't have time for it anyway. And they're not all very compelling. So I tried to really ferret out what I thought were five truths that really had some significance, that meant something to people. And uh, I think the first truth is the fact that every taxpayer earns $12,400 that is tax-free every year. The first $12,400 that you earn is tax-free. Or if you're married, every couple gets $24,800 tax-free. And that's called the standard deduction. And for most people, this replaces what uh, used to be called itemization, but very few people itemize anymore. You used to fill out a Schedule A along with your 1040, And on the Schedule A, you would list out five different things. Your medical expenses that exceeded 7.5% of your income. The taxes that you paid state, local, real estate, personal property taxes, things like that. Your home mortgage interest, your charitable gifts, and then any casualty or theft losses that you had. And you totaled those up. And whatever that came to, that was a deduction off your income. But most people don't have more than $12,400 individually or $24,800 as a couple in Schedule A itemized deductions anymore. And so what the government has done is they said, well, just forget about the itemization. We're just going to give every couple $24,800. And so the first $24,800 that you earn in your family or $12,400 that you earn individually then comes to you tax-free. There's no tax charge on that money. All right. So where do you go from there? That's nice money. And what do you do with it? Well, for most people, this won't make a tremendous difference in their life because it's just automatically calculated in. And you know that there's a scheduled uh, stair steps. Think of a set of stairs on how you pay taxes. And the first step, there's no tax on that first $24,800. And then the next step up is a 10% step. And the next step up is a 12% step. And the next step up is a 22% step. And so the higher you go up the ladder or the staircase, the more tax you pay as a percentage. But what this $12,400 means, for example, for business owners, how they can use this as a unique tool is they can use it to employ their kids and give them this money income tax-free to the children. So for example, you're giving your kids money anyway. Uh, and I don't know how much money you wind up giving your kids a month but or a year, but for many people, it'll be, you know, several thousand dollars a year. Perhaps we're talking about uniforms for Little League, or we're talking about piano lessons, or we're talking about registering and enrolling in dance class, or whatever it happens to be. Could it, even, the- 
goes to your kids. Could it even be an allowance? Well, yes, your allowance is a part of that. But what I'm trying to do is help people think further or or think bigger because, you know, your allowance is what, 20 bucks a month or or a week maybe? I don't know. We never really gave our kids an allowance. So I'm not too in touch with that. I think when I got an allowance back in the day, it was like a dollar a week or something. So that's not very relevant in modern times. That's what I get for being an old geezer. But the point is you've got all these things that you're spending money on for your kids. If you would instead put your kids on the payroll of your business, if you're a business owner, employ the kids and give them a job that is a kid-sized job. You know, maybe they're stuffing envelopes. Maybe they're taking out the trash. They're cleaning the toilet. They're, uh, maybe they're sweeping out the leaves that collect in the front of the building or, you know, whatever it happens to be that you think your kids can do reasonably. And I would even have a a contractual agreement with them, you know, just a real simple contract that says Johnny's going to do A, B, C, D in exchange for this many dollars. Well, then you can pay the kids $12,400 that will be free from income tax for them. And it is FICA, FICA free as well. So you don't wind up paying any social security or Medicare tax on it either. And so when you give the kids that money, instead of you buying their dance lessons and their uniform for little league you and and you doing it with money that you've paid tax on so after tax money you can actually pay the kids a wage which is a deduction an expense to your business so you're expensing that twelve thousand four hundred dollars you're not going to have to pay tax on that and when it goes to the kids the kids don't pay tax on it they get it tax-free And then they can pay for all of those expenses themselves. And you can share with them in the checkbook to make that all work. And uh, I had my first checkbook when I was either seven or eight. I don't remember. One of the first things I bought was a first baseman's mitt. It was red. And uh, I have lost that in recent years and can't find it. And it annoys me. I don't know why. I just, I've had it since I was seven or eight years old. But I remember writing the check for it at Walmart in Aurora, Missouri, (laughs) all the crazy places. So, so my point is your kids are going to have these expenses. You're giving the kids money to pay these expenses. So why not instead employ the kids, deduct it as an expense uh, to have them as your employee, and then let them use that tax-free money to purchase uh, the things that you were giving to them anyway. Well, now let me make this clear. Are you talking about giving them the full 12400 for whatever job they're doing, and then just a portion of that actually makes it to them to buy their baseball mitts? Well, maybe not. I, the point is you could give up to 12400 Okay. Let's say that's too much. Let's say 500 bucks a month winds up being the number for your kids. Okay, you're giving them 6000 a year. But the point is anyone, whether it's your kid or whether it's you, can earn 12400 individually or if you're married, 24800 as a couple. And that money comes to you tax-free. You don't have to pay any tax on it. So that's the first truth about taxes that I think is significant for us to understand. What would be number two? Truth number two. Business owners can reduce their tax bill by six figures. Now, the way I would recommend that you think about this is to look for uh, high ticket expenses that either benefit you when you make that expense, because in some way they come back to you and bless and help your life, or maybe they're cash neutral kinds of expenses. So I'm going to give you an example of a uh, cash neutral type of expense that we can put onto a business owner's taxes that actually winds up being very positive for them. I had a business owner in just this week who had not used all of the depreciation on the real estate that he owned. In fact, he was allowed more depreciation each year than he used. 
So let me give you an example of how that might work. Let's say that you own a commercial building that's worth $1 million. And let's say the actual ground that it sits on is worth $100,000. That means you've got $900,000 worth of improvements and structure that is all depreciable. And that will be depreciated against your taxes, which effectively means it's an expense against your taxes. And they'll depreciate it over 39 years. So if we took $900,000, turn my calculator on, 900000 and we divided that by 39, the depreciation amount would be a little over $23,000 a year. But here's the key thing that people aren't aware of. There are parts of that building that can be depreciated more quickly. For example, the floor coverings can be depreciated in five years. Really? So in, in five years, yes. The floor coverings can be depreciated in five years. So instead of having a $900,000 building for 39 years, what you really have, let's say you've got $50,000 worth of floor coverings. Then you have an $850,000 building for 39 years, and you've got $50,000 worth of floor coverings that can be depreciated out over five years. Another example of that would be uh, your countertops and cabinets and shelving and your electrical system that services your countertops and cabinet, all of those things can be depreciated over five years. And so what I want you to realize is when you depreciate over five years instead of 39, it increases the amount of depreciation that you're able to claim for that year as an expense from a tax perspective. It's not an expense out of your pocket. It just shows on your tax return as an expense. And that allows you to reduce your taxes. There was a lawsuit, Hospital Corporation of America versus the commissioner. Uh, everything we see in the tax strategy world is somebody versus the commissioner, and the commissioner is the IRS commissioner. And uh, they had had an argument about what the hospital corporation could uh, deduct and take as depreciation. And this lawsuit settled it out, and what the court came back and said is, no, you can depreciate the countertops, cabinets, and shelving over five years. By the way, don't you wish you had gone to law school and spent all those years learning so that you could sit in a room and listen to arguments about cabinets and whether or not they should exp be expensed over five years or some other period of time. But I can understand the difference in depreciations, though. Floor coverings, I mean, people are walking on them. They're used constantly. So, yeah, a five-year depreciation, countertops, well, cabinets. And, yeah, the, and the land improvements, 15 years, you say? Paving, sidewalks? For 15 yeah. years, yeah. That includes uh, not only paving, sidewalks, drainage, but fencing. You know, if you've got a privacy fence out back and those things tend to get rotted and sun damaged uh, over a period of time, so they depreciate more quickly. Trees, shrubs, and plants. So when you buy a $900,000 building, what you want to do is rather than saying, well, I bought a $900,000 building. No, you want to you want to list it out and itemize what you bought. And you want to say, well, I bought $100,000 worth of trees, shrubs, and plants. And I bought $50,000 worth of floor coverings. And I bought $25,000 worth of cabinets. If you'll itemize at the time of purchase, and nobody ever does this, but if you would do wow. that, it would, it would allow you to depreciate out your property more quickly, which means bigger deductions for you every year, which means less taxes that you have to pay. So tell me about this case you've got mentioned here. Well, that particular case that we were just working on, the owner had already owned the building for 14 years, and there was $137,000 worth of depreciation that he'd failed to take in the past 14 years. Oof. And uh, it wasn't, it, when I say failed, that's the wrong word. 
everybody does this the same way. They just say 900,000 divided by 39 years. And there's my depreciation amount because they don't realize that there are ways you can speed up and accelerate this. So in Missouri, where I'm located, this person's in the 37% federal tax bracket, the top bracket, plus 6% that will go to the state of Missouri. So on that $137,000, when we take that on his tax return, that is going to reduce his taxes by $58,900, almost $59,000. In the highest tax state, which happens to be California, it would have reduced the tax out there by $68,000. So, you know, when you start looking at uh, fifty-eight dollars to $68,000 in tax reduction, uh, money that you don't have to write a check for, well, I think that's a pretty significant story. And it's one that business owners ought to consider uh, very seriously. That is a considerable amount of money, definitely. And when you figure you didn't take it, that really makes you feel bad. Well, you can't be held responsible for things you didn't know about. And uh, the problem is that people don't know about that. And so it takes somebody like me to bring it to their attention. And then there has to be a cost segregation study done. And and what you get is a 50-page report. It looks kind of like an appraisal if you've ever seen one of those. And then at the end of that report, there's a form 3115, which is the change of accounting method form that the IRS requires. And you file that form with the IRS. And then you're allowed to take that 58,000, or I'm sorry, allowed to take that additional, in in my client's case, $137,000 worth of uh, depreciation, saving him almost $60,000 in taxes. When you first buy the property, should you really do that cost segregation study? Well, no, when you first buy the property, If you had written your purchase contract to segregate out all of these items in the first place, you would not need a cost segregation study Gotcha. because you actually have the contract that shows the amount of costs and how they're segregated and allocated. But nobody ever does that. So what happens is 10 years later, they show up in my office with a tax problem trying to figure out how to reduce their taxes. We take a look at the real estate they own and we say, well, how's the depreciation being handled? And what the business owner does is shrugs his shoulders and says, I don't know, the tax preparer does that. (laughs) I knew he didn't know. I just didn't know if he knew he didn't know. (laughs) And so then we start digging into it. And what we'll always find is on a property like that, it will be depreciated over 39 years. And so that's why we have to do the cost segregation study because we're going to change the numbers. We're going to take a big deduction for this year, but we have to have a basis on which to do it. And the basis that we rely on to do this is the fact that we've had an engineering firm do a cost segregation study that says, here's how many dollars we've got in trees, plants, shrubs, concrete, paving, sidewalks. Here's how many dollars we have in electrical. Here's how many dollars we have in cabinet tops, things of that nature. All right. So really, yeah, that's a great idea. Do something like that in the beginning and you don't have to do it later on. You get the money savings all the way through. That's exactly right. What about this retirement plan deduction? Well, so the the point that I want to make is I I said the the truth is that you can reduce your tax bill by six figures. Now, this cost segregation study only reduced the tax bill by what a little less than $60,000. So that's not six figures, that's five figures. Hey, Barry, how come the truth is six figures? Well, (laughs) you take that and you add it to, for example, a retirement plan deduction that we talked about last week, where you can deduct $200,000 right up front. Uh, Well, that $200,000 deduction uh, plus your cost segregation money, when you put the two of those together, it's nearly $150,000 saved in the first year. And there are other strategies that you can use as well. And so when you put these things together, it's, it begins to be a significant amount of money 
all added up and certainly can achieve six figures for some people. Now, if you're one of those persons, okay, that's fine. Say, let's say that your business is too small and it, it's not large enough. You don't have a commercial building. You're not making that much money. So what if instead of saving $100,000 a year, getting a six-figure uh, tax reduction, well, what if you could save $50,000 a year? Wouldn't that still be worth it? Or $25,000 a year or $20,000 a year? My point is, don't be wrapped up in the fact, well, I don't qualify for a big deduction like that and that kind of reduction. Now, on a percentage basis, you may qualify for a reduction in taxes that's actually larger than what a six-figure person's reduction would be percentage-wise based on what your income happens to be. So the point is, let's reduce your taxes as much as you possibly can. So why don't CPAs do this for their people? Ah, well, that's a great question. In fact, I mentioned this to a business owner yesterday that I was meeting with who's a service provider to me. I said, hey, let me tell you about something we just did for a client. And I told her what we'd done, and she owns a commercial building. We were standing in her commercial building at the time that I mentioned this, in fact. And um, she shrugged her shoulders and said, yeah, well, um, you know, I think my accountant probably takes care of that. No, her accountant doesn't take care of that. I would 99.9% be willing to guarantee. And so I pointed out to her that she had never done a cost segregation study. And if you had done a cost segregation study, then you would be able to take this deduction. So the, the point is, she just shrugged her shoulders and said, well, you know, I just leave it to my accountant. Whatever he says is fine. And that's fine if you want to do that. But in the case of my client yesterday, is it worth $58,910 to, quote, just leave it to your accountant? That's um, a lot of money you're leaving on the table. And I'm amazed and astonished at the degree to which people are willing to do that. I understand that our topic is not really compelling, this isn't the most exciting thing to be talking about. But so forget about what we're talking about and pretend this is the $58,910 extra bucks in your pocket podcast, because <laughs> that is exciting and juicy. Uh, but really, even when we think about how that juices us up, what happens is it's just money we didn't have to write the check for. So sometimes people don't even realize and appreciate how much difference it's made for them until they really stop and think about it. But it's a shame that people don't take advantage of these things because they think, well, if it's a real deal, we were already doing it. And no, you're not doing it because accountants are just like everybody else. They tend to take the uh, uh, path of the least resistance. And mm -hmm. the easy thing to do is say, what'd you get for your building? A million dollars. What's the land worth? hundred thousand. That's 900,000 depreciable over 39 years. Next. And they just go on to the next thing. I'm amazed. And that's the truth number three. I am amazed, though, that the accountants don't say, well, let's do this. Yeah, I, uh, I just can't explain it, except that we're all creatures of habit and we all pursue the easiest path forward. And uh, it takes uh, effort. You know, think about this. So if you're an accountant, you're getting paid 500 bucks to do a tax return or a thousand or 1500 or whatever. You can just keep doing what you've been doing. And your client's perfectly happy with that. Or you can go get your education, learn how to do all these things. And then you can try to train your client and teach your client about all these things. And the client resists because they don't understand and they've never heard of that. So you spend a lot of time and energy teaching. And at the end of the day, you still get paid your same 1500 bucks. So the path of least resistance says, I'm just going to keep doing it the way I've been doing it and not tell the client that there are any additional options and go on about our business. I kind of understand that. But you're also, as you say, you want to educate the clients as well. If they don't accept it, I can see that happening too. But when you're well, telling them it's thousands of dollars. 
you'd think uh, you'd think fifty eight thousand dollars would get a lot of attention. Yeah. And the thing is, that was that was a pretty decently sized case. Uh, what if it was eight thousand dollars? Well, eight thousand dollars is a decent sized case too. That makes a lot of difference. So what kind of vacation could you take for eight thousand dollars? Yeah, well, the answer is a decent one. And depending it's on your business, any thousands of dollars would make a difference. And particularly in this day and age, uh, when we're shut down and we've got twenty five percent of the restaurants open and uh, mm. uh, people are staying at home, yeah, it's a it's a big time. So dollars matter, and this is a good time for business owners to recoup some of what's been lost to the COVID crisis by perhaps finding depreciation they could have been taking all along in real estate that they owned, and they've missed the opportunity to do that. All right, as we get older, we lose deductions, and so do depreciation, so do buildings. Tell me about this. Well, as we get older, we depreciate too. <laughs> yes. uh, suddenly, uh, you're eating your favorite dessert and your tooth falls out or whatever it happens <laughs> to be. Uh, certainly, it's, it's not fun and it's not for people who don't, who don't have courage. But the fact of the matter is, as your body depreciates and you get older, well, your building depreciates too. And the building we just talked about, at some point for that business owner, the building's fully depreciated. There's no more depreciation he can realize for that building so he loses the deduction. You see, every year that same business owner was getting about $20,000 a year in additional deductions beyond what I talked about. And someday he won't get that $20,000 anymore because he's depreciated the building down to a tax basis value of zero. doesn't mean the building's worth zero. It just means in this tax math that we're doing, it shows it's worth zero. So as you get older, your home mortgage is paid off. And that's one of the things that if you're itemizing deductions, that you will no longer be able to itemize because the bill's paid. Uh, you're no longer contributing to your 401k. And the 401k contributions are a direct deduction from your uh, payroll check that you're receiving. Uh, when you're older, your kids are grown up and there's no longer any tax credit for having those kids at home and they're educated. So there are no tax credits for educating those children. So Essentially, you see what all these things are, the depreciation on the building and the 401k deduction and the home mortgage interest, all of those are places to hide. You see, the tax man, the IRS, he's shooting arrows at you every day. And when he shoots the arrow, you step behind the tree so the arrow hits the tree instead of hitting you. But what happens is over time, the forest falls down. There are no longer any trees. There's no longer any place to hide. So you're just standing there in all of your glory waiting to be shot because there's nothing else you can do to reduce your taxes. You've lost the deductions as you age. But I'll bet you know some solutions. Well, the solution, since your tax deductions are going away, is to be sure you've got as much tax-free income as possible. And that means you must begin now positioning all of your retirement accounts and your retirement income so that the income that you will receive in the future when you're retired will be tax-free. And in some cases, all of your retirement income can be tax-free if you will plan it out. Now, people say, I don't believe that. Well, okay, it's free country. You don't have to believe that. But I'm telling you that that's the fact. There are people who are clients of mine who, when they retire, will have all of their income tax-free because they used tax-free types of accounts in which to accumulate all of their retirement savings. So if you're going to lose your deductions, you're going to lose all the trees that you're hiding behind when the IRS shoots the arrow at you. You want to be able to say when that time comes, hey, I don't have any income that is taxable and therefore the IRS arrow just bounces off of you. Oh, nice. 
Where are where can we go for those uh, those types of accounts? How many are there? What are they? Tell me, please. Well, there are about three and a half is what I'll say. Uh, really three and a half. Tax- there are three and a half types of accounts that are tax free. So the first one is your Roth IRA, your Roth 401k. A lot of people stopped right there and said, well, I didn't know I had a Roth 401k. You may or may not have because the people in your human resources department aren't tax specialists. They don't know to talk to you about choosing the Roth option. They just want to get you signed up on the 401k plan as quickly as possible. Check a box and here we go. And everybody enjoys the deduction because they're not thinking about the fact that taxes are going to be higher in retirement in the future. And so they try to take the deduction today, but there is a Roth 401k option that many 401k plans have that would allow that money to grow tax-free into the future. And then there are Roth conversions where you take existing IRA money, you cleanse it of taxes right now while taxes are low, and then you move that money over into a Roth IRA and, and don't ever pay tax again. Now, the surprising thing is most people don't understand this. I had a physician recently tell me, Uh, As I talked to him about Roth accounts, he said, well, you have to pay tax on all that Roth money anyway. He had used an, here's what he had done. He had used an after-tax IRA. He made a full contribution to an after-tax IRA and then let that money sit there and grow. And all the growth in that will be taxable. He could have made the same after-tax contribution to a Roth IRA and it wouldn't have been taxable. Now, somebody, when I'm speaking in large crowds, somebody will always raise their hand and say, "Well, well, what if you don't qualify for the Roth IRA? Here's the answer to that. Everybody qualifies for a Roth. You just have to know how to qualify. There's something called a backdoor Roth. Uh, You know, it's kind of like going to grandma's house and everybody thinks they're running through the front door, but sometimes you need to run around to the back door because the back door is attached to the kitchen and the kitchen's where the cookies are. Mm -hmm. And you want the cookies as fast as possible. So let's not go through the front door in the parlor, which is where all the tax laws are, but let's sneak around through the back door. And when I say sneak, they actually, actually, the IRS and the tax courts have acknowledged that the backdoor Roth is a valid strategy for making a contribution. So back to my physician. Mm. All right, so he told me the reason he had done this, put this money in a taxable IRA instead of a tax-free Roth IRA, is he said, well, I'm going to have to pay tax on all of that Roth account in the future anyway. And my word to you about him was he may have gotten A's in medical school, but he flunked tax planning. Because the fact of the matter is, Whatever happens inside of a Roth IRA is 100% tax-free in the future, period. So Roths are an important tool to use. Right, but explain to me why he thought he was going to be okay. Why do people think the things they think? I don't know. (laughs) He didn't know his options, and he had never spent any time studying his options, and he had never gotten any help. He had never asked a simple question. He's obviously a smart man, but he just didn't know about this. And so once I explained to him that Roths were tax-free, he shrugged his shoulders and said, okay, I didn't know. And uh, he didn't know. So a Roth account is the first of the three and a half types of tax-free accounts. Now, the second type of account, um, oh, and by the way, I wanted to tell you, I I personally have Roth accounts. Uh, We use Roth accounts in my family. So when I Mm -hmm. recommend that medicine, it's it's medicine that we're taking in our family uh, to avoid taxes in the future and retirement. Well, as you say, it's medicine now, but in the future, it's, uh, it's candy. Well, I can say it's candy now, too, as well, because I'm looking to the future. That's what we're saving. You're absolutely right. So the second of the four or three and a half types of tax-free accounts are some forms of specially structured life insurance that allow you to grow money inside the policy, 
and then take it out in retirement tax-free. So not all life insurance policies are structured this way. Not all life insurance policies work this way. Most people don't know anything about these because 99% of the population hates insurance and the other 99.9% uh, hate life insurance in particular. And I would submit to you, they don't really hate life insurance. What they really hate is death insurance because they don't understand what the benefits yeah. can be of a properly structured life insurance contract that allows you to grow money tax-free and then take money out in retirement tax-free. And I personally have one of these kinds of policies too. Perhaps sometimes we'll do a podcast on this topic alone mm -hmm. because it's a very extensive kind of topic, but I think it's very helpful for people. The third type of an account that's tax-free that most people overlook is the health savings account. The health savings account. Now, I want you to think about this a little differently. I don't want you to think about it as a health expense account, which is technically what it is, I want you to think about it as just an additional Roth IRA because it also can function in that way. You can contribute $3,550 per individual or $7,100 per family to a health savings account, and that account will be tax-free uh, to be used for health expenses in the future. And now, I personally fund one of these accounts myself. Now, this doesn't have to be used within a calendar year? No, no. A health savings account builds up for... 30 years from now when you're going to need it, because when are all your expenses going to come in? Well, I don't know, but probably more next year than last year. Mm -hmm. Every year, our health expenses tend to increase. And so this is money that you don't want to spend now. Everybody says, oh, I've got a few thousand in my health savings account. Let's pay that health expense bill. No, no, no. Let's pay that out of our regular living income. And let's let that health savings account be invested and grow for the future because it's really kind of like having an additional Roth IRA. And when you get years down the road into the future, well, then you are going to most likely have some medical expenses. And if you don't, perhaps your spouse will. And you can use that account tax-free to pay those medical expenses at that time. So that's how you use a health savings account. And it is a tax-free account, just like a Roth IRA and just like specially structured life insurance is. And then there's, a, there's number three and a half, three and a half. And the reason I say this is a half is because it depends on how you structure this one. But if you'll structure this one correctly, it will save you taxes. So there are what are called enterprise risk management plans. Very complicated topic. We're going to do an entire podcast on this. But this is a type of an insurance account where you own the account. And it covers risks that you may have in your business that are what we call low probability, high impact, high expense risks. Probably not much chance of them happening, but if they did happen, they're a really big deal. And you can have this account as a business owner. The Fortune 500, they all have these kinds of accounts. And many individual business owners who have tax strategists working for them have these as well. I personally have one of these plans. And what these accounts will do for you is they'll, if you set them up correctly, allow you to accumulate money in that account that winds up never getting spent on any of these low probability, high expense kinds of items. So then when you retire someday, here sits an extra half million dollars in your account that's never had any taxes paid on it. And if you set it up correctly, you'll never have to pay taxes on it. So I, I say that's number three and a half, because if you set it up the wrong way, you'll still have to pay the taxes. But if you set it up the right way, you won't have to pay the taxes. So you got to know the right person to get that thing set up the right way. You got to have a specialist. That's exactly right. And that's really what this is all about is it's all about having a specialist in place. I had a dentist in the office yesterday. It was a funny, 
funny story. I asked him some question about, did he want to do A or did he want to do B? And he said, I'm just pushing the rock up the hill. You're the decision maker. <laughs> and I really, I appreciated that about him. At the end of our meeting, by the way, he said, I've got 10 dentists who work underneath me and I'm the old guy. He's 68. He said, I'm Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, he said, they'll do whatever I tell them to do. Would you be willing to come to our clinic and just sit and talk with these guys for an hour about getting started in their dental practice? Awesome. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to going and helping them. That's really going to be a, a neat thing for us. Now, that's a man you obviously got through to. Yeah. Well, he's, it's a great story. I wish I had time to just tell his story alone. He would be a fun guy for us to interview on the podcast, in fact. We'll have uh, to do that. You get some neat stories to tell. But we're kind of running out of time here. So tell me, about you talking about being in the 0% tax bracket in retirement. Give me a break. Come on. Really? Uh, well, not for everybody, but yes, for some people. And so what I want you to realize is everything we've talked about are little chunks, little ways to uh, just chink away at your tax bill and reduce your tax bill and reduce your tax bill and reduce your tax bill. So the truth number five that I want to impress upon you is that it is possible to be in the 0% tax bracket in retirement, particularly if you'll get started now funding tax-free accounts. So remember those, those three and a half accounts I just talked to? Well, if you'll start focusing all your energy on funding those kind of accounts instead of funding accounts that are taxable, and if you'll take the accounts you've already got that are taxable, like your IRA, and begin the process, while taxes are low, of cleansing the retirement savings accounts from taxes, doing what are called conversions, and moving that money over into tax-free accounts, and you do that before 2026 because in 2026, that's when the tax law already says taxes are going higher. And depending on how the upcoming election goes, they may go higher even sooner than that. Well, if you'll do those things, when you wind up at retirement someday, here's where you're going to have your income from. You're going to have a Roth 401k contribution that is going to start paying you income, and that's not taxable. You're going to have contributed money to your Roth conversion when you paid the tax on it and moved it over into the Roth account. That money's not taxable. You're going to have Roth IRA contributions that you've made through the years, you and your spouse. That money is not taxable. You're hopefully going to have those specially structured life insurance contracts that I referenced above. That money is not taxable. And if you have an enterprise risk management plan, the money that comes out of that can be not taxable if we do it correctly. So what do you have left? The only other source of income you have left is Social Security. And today, if you make less than $44,000 in total income, then your social security is not going to be taxable either. And so my point is all those other things I listed out, they're not counted in that $44,000. That's a concept called provisional income that we'll teach more about at some later time. Mm -hmm. But as long as your total income and all those are excluded from it are less than $44,000, then your social security is not taxable. So if you can get to the point where you're not paying tax even on your social security, then what that means is you're in the 0% tax bracket. Now, not everybody can get there. But many, many people can and don't because they didn't know you could and they don't know how to get there. And that's what we specialize in at SavingYouTaxes.com, helping people to reduce their retirement income taxes and the taxes they're paying today so that when the time comes that they do retire, they'll be in the lowest possible, maybe even the 0% tax bracket. And how can people reach you, Barry? Go to our website, SavingYouTaxes.com. There you'll find a phone number where you can call us, reach out to us by email, whatever manner that you might choose. We'll be delighted to talk with you and help you in any way we can. All right. Thanks, Barry, of SavingYouTaxes.com. 
To subscribe to the Truth About Taxes and Retirement podcast, just tap the subscribe button on this page and you can share with the share button. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.